0: You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, and I am joined today by a couple of my steadfast co-hosts, Guy Cortan and Jenny Reese. Hey, guys. Yo, yo. Hey, Matt. So this is an interesting episode of Supply Chain Radio. In fact, it's going to be my last. No! We're
1: all crying (laughs) softly.
0: I know. I know, it's tough. It's been one heck of a journey, and while I cannot claim to have started the show or even invented podcasting, it's been an absolute pleasure um, bringing this show to you out there in audience land for the last years.
2: You didn't invent podcasting?
0: I know. You would think so, right?
2: In my world, you did a little bit, so I owe you that.
1: Just take ownership of it, Matt. Just uh, take ownership fine. of
0: it. You know what? You can do anything you want on your last day. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> So with that, let's reflect a little bit on supply chain radio and on the supply chain in general. I went back and listened to the very first episode of this show, which was recorded in twenty ten, well before it was a regular weekly program and before even any of us were involved in the show. And Just found it really interesting because in that very first episode, John Atherton, who uh, was one of the original hosts, and, and Greg Johnson, both of whom have moved on to other worlds, talked about this new notion in supply chain, this idea of extending your connectivity beyond the four walls of the enterprise to better collaborate and streamline processes to gain visibility and a better handle on all of the things happening across the global supply chain. And I think that idea is amazing and still holds a lot of value. So I'm interested in, in where we've come in basically 10 years of this show. Guy, what are your thoughts on this networked supply chain concept?
1: You know, I think, Matt, it's it's one of those things that 10 years seems to uh, be a long time, yet uh, also goes by way too quickly. The whole notion of the network supply chain, I think the relevance has not diminished by any stretch of imagination. I think what has happened is the evangelizing that I'm sure John and others were doing in the beginning has now moved from having to evangelize the importance of it to now having to be more prescriptive with regards to what to do. What's your first steps? How do you take action to actually get to this point. It feels as if, you know, people have come around and I won't say completely, but really embrace the notion of this network of networks, this network supply chain, this need for greater connectivity and visibility. And it's no longer a need to convince people or to demonstrate to people why they should be thinking about this. Now it's really about, all right, what do I do tomorrow to get this done and to have this, you know, in place for my business and my supply chain?
0: Yeah, Jenny, and you focus a lot on retail and fashion, where so much of the you know emphasis has been on just the store, that final end node in the supply chain. But have you seen more value or more positioning toward thinking upstream, thinking about inventory before it's in the store, before it's going to that consumer?
2: Absolutely. What I was going to say is I think probably the most noticeable change, even over the last few years, has been the definition of visibility and why it's important and actually what it means. So if you think about Let's talk about mobility. You know, when people had cell phones, the first cell phones, and then it was like, oh, I can call from an airplane or... Now I have an Apple watch and, and that definition of mobility gets tighter and tighter. So I think for retail and fashion in the supply chain, it's been the same that visibility once meant, okay, getting an email on the customer side that your order has shipped. Well, now I need to know where, you know, my pizza is from the time it goes in the oven until it gets to my door. So visibility has been crucial. And I think especially, you know, across the supply chain at first, we were looking at things like, okay, I want to know when my package has been scanned, you know, did it arrive at the postal service? And And now it's like, I want to know everywhere it goes in between. And then as, you know, as the retailer or the fashion brand, I want to know exactly where it is in the middle of the ocean, exactly where it is on a highway driving across the states. So yeah, visibility has, has just been huge.
0: Yeah, no, then that's a great point. And something you keyed on there is something that seems universal to any operation, whether it's B2B or even B2C. All of a sudden now everyone's got a supercomputer in their pocket, so to speak. They've got a mobile device and they're connected constantly to everything in their digital world. And with that's come so many more expectations. Guy, is supply chain truly driven by a customer or a consumer uh, in this day and age?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, supply chains today, and, and regardless if it's a B2C or a B2B supply chain, There's always a C behind that B, right? And I think not only is there always a consumer somewhere lurking in that equation, but I think that everybody that participates in the supply chain in their own rights are consumers. And what I mean by that is they take on the consumer mentality. You know, what Jenny mentioned that, you know, today I I don't only expect to know where my package will be, but I expect to know almost to the point of when the raw material gets taken out of the earth or created to produce that product, right? I want that visibility. I want to know what's happening. I want to know things like sustainability, things like that. I want to understand, and I want to be more involved with the whole process of that product. So from a consumer standpoint, we've taken that attitude. And I think we take that attitude with us when we go to the office on Monday morning to do our regular jobs, whether, again, we're in the B2B world or B2C world, we have now taken on sort of that mentality and applied it to the rest of our world. So I think... From that standpoint, there is always a consumer now that it's driving that supply chain, whether literally driving it from the standpoint of uh, making products that have to get to a consumer or I make products that someone has to use, to the mentality of the people in the supply chain who have now taken on a you know consumer-centric mentality. You guys both mentioned the whole notion of you know carrying a supercomputer in your pocket every day, having that access 24-7, having that, you know, that door to the world that we never had before. That's not only from a purchasing behavior standpoint, but also from an attitude standpoint, I think is really driving and influencing supply chains today.
2: Yeah, it makes me wonder, you know, data is obviously the biggest currency that any brand has right now. But at what point do you think consumers will sort of burn out on data? Like, we want to know now, you know, I want to know where my shampoo came from. You know, is it ethical sourcing? Is it ethical shipping, all of this? How far upstream do you think it'll go? And how much information can we get as consumers before we say... It's too much. I'm drowning in my own data here.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's an interesting question. I, I hate. I'll, I'll use this term, which I know I hate to use, but I will use it. It's. It depends, and I think what that means is, I think different consumers will expect different levels of data from their their brands, their supply chains than others. So I think that each brand, each supply chain, whether it's again business to consumer, business to business, they will have to almost manage to the extremes. What I mean by that is. They will have to assume that there's going to be one consumer, one customer out there that's going to expect such a level of detail of information and of data that they have to be prepared to provide that. While there will be another level that will just say, you know, I, I really don't care. I just want to make sure it gets to me at a good price, at the right time, at the right place and meets my needs or meets my experiences. Whereas you might have another consumer who's going to say, no, I want to really dive into the information, dive into the data really sort of, you know, geek out on the data and and use that to influence my buying behavior. So I think that's a challenge, right, for the brands to meet sort of that extreme level of information need. I think to your point, Jenny, you're absolutely right. I think we are already flooded in data. We have too much information. And I think we, we have learned to sort of filter what we need and what we don't need. The question is, again, for these companies is, what I might require is going to be very different than what someone else requires and from someone else from that person. So how do you then manage to that where you know the expectations are going to, are going to run the gamut across the board with what we're looking for, what we expect, and what we need in terms of information to make buying decisions?
0: It's so really interesting ideas. And, and I, I wonder, and this is kind of going a little bit off here, and with all of this technology and all of this data and all of these expectations... At what point does this view of supply chain or this consideration of the supply chain lead to greater empathy and understanding between customers or consumers and and between businesses and their suppliers? It seems that when you understand their world or, or when you can walk a mile in someone's shoes, you can start to understand what their needs are better, what they expect from those experiences and what they really are after through the things that they're purchasing or making or delivering. It just seems to me that, you know, even as a consumer, when I have a bad experience, I know that there are certain things that have had to happen to make that go sideways. And I just want to, you know, give feedback and help fix it in whatever way possible. I wonder if this greater communication has an effect there.
1: Well, I, I guess I would turn the question back to you on that, Matt. Is like, you know, from, as you, as a consumer who has, you know, more knowledge about what goes into getting you, you know, that pair of denim jeans to your doorstep, you know, do you have more empathy for when something goes wrong, or do you just kind of, you know, like we all do as consumers, we our expectations are such that I don't care that there's a problem behind it. You know, I'm still gonna gonna complain. I mean, for example you know, when you travel, you know, you're on the plane, there's delays. And we understand that these delays, you know, are acts of nature, or mechanical issues or something of that nature. But you still hear people, you know, complaining to the flight attendants and the people that work at the airlines, you know, why can't get the plane here on time? Why can't it be here now? And these people understand, or they should, the physics of flying, right? I mean, this is not, you know, this is not simple. Yet, our empathy there is lacking. You know, do you believe that we can have that sort of constructive thinking about this? Or are we just all lost? You know, I guess I would turn that back to you.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And everyone experiences things different ways. Um, But yeah, I want the things that I want, how I want them, when I want them at that right price. And so, yes, that expectation is very high. I think that when something does go wrong, I want to understand the things that broke down or what signals I can put out there in order to either improve the experience or find an alternative in the future. That meets those needs. It's so easy to ditch loyalty in some of those cases. And it seems to me that, yeah, I think that from a business perspective, you have to empathize and understand the customer, but you also, it pushes you to a higher standard that you have to deliver on that promise because there are so many choices now and so many other supply chains that are better equipped to handle that need.
2: Yeah, I think if you think about this question and take it out of the B2C space and put it back in, like let's say, manufacturing, a manufacturing supply chain that, you know, before there was all this supply chain visibility, if something were to go wrong, it's sort of like when your plate comes out at the restaurant and everyone blames everyone. You know, the waitress blames the cook, the cook blames the hostess, whatever. It's always someone else's fault. But in this case, I think people I guess, as Guy would say, it depends, it may or may not have more empathy because you're going to be able to pinpoint where those mistakes are made. And so if it's, you know, some sort of human error or lack of judgment or something like that, then it's going to be clear where where that point of failure is.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that that doing the forensics to understanding the failures across a system can be so much more apparent when companies do start to grow their connectivity across their greater network. And I think that's kind of where I'm getting at. There's this clear need. There's this clear expectation. What's the next step to truly reaching that state where you can identify issues, resolve them proactively, or simply find alternatives quickly enough so that you can meet the demands at the end of that supply chain, whatever it may be?
1: Yeah, and I think to the point you guys made, I think there's an interesting opportunity here for savvy supply chains to take all that data that information and to be not just more open with their consumers and their customers but to, to your point to be more proactive with if there is going to be an issue to try to fix it before it becomes a true issue i mean that we'd say that all the time in the supply chain world right if if you know that ship is crossing the ocean and uh The container ship breaks in half and one half is still floating in the ocean. I better know about it as soon as possible rather than waiting for it to come up on shore. I think it's the same thing with the end of that supply chain, whether it's a business to consumer product or a B2B product, is can I leverage or can I be smarter about that information, that visibility I have? And can I weed through that glut of data to bubble up the stuff that's relevant for the consumer and for the end consumer to better communicate, right? I think, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm two uh, rainbows unicorns on this, but, you know, I, I do feel that if brands are more proactive with telling me, hey, you know, that order you just placed, it's delayed by, you know, three hours because of X, Y, and Z, maybe I am more empathetic to them, and I will not be as, you know, I won't go right to Twitter and start blasting yeah. them for being late, you know, I think that's something that – again, going back to the airline example, I feel like when airlines are a little bit more open with you saying, hey, there's a computer problem or this. Now, some people might not want to hear that there's a, a hole in the windshield or something. But you know, I think giving the explanation and not just saying, hey, it's delayed or it's going to be late by two days and just leaving you hanging I think is, is going to be important. I think the secondary part when it comes to all this information that's out there is can some of these savvy supply chains not just tell you there might be a delay – But also try to help find alternatives if you so choose. So if I know that the widgets that you ordered won't be coming in on time, can I look in my network and figure out there's an alternative? Can I figure out that, you know, you're a platinum level customer, so I better give you some money back or give you a discount or do something to make up for it? And I think if those supply chains start using the information that that is available and I start to be smarter about it i think you know the relationship between end consumer and supply chain i think will be one more of cooperation for lack of a better term but more openness more understanding you know as opposed to just hey it's going to be late sorry tough luck
2: yeah it's it's funny kind of full circle you're uh, the more tech you plug in sort of the more human the experience has the potential to be, but I'd say, you know, since we're talking about the evolution of the supply chain and, and, you know, obviously, gee, what you're saying, it takes a crap load of data to inform those kind of decisions. And I think probably one of the biggest evolutions we've seen is the real world scenarios for artificial intelligence and machine learning to parse all of that data in a timely enough fashion that you don't have a million Garfield phones on the beach. <laughs> right
0: exactly like there's so much wasted opportunity it seems or missed opportunities when you act in silos or when you hoard information and i guess that's kind of what i'm getting at with this whole idea of greater connectivity greater communication across the entire supply chain everything that we do is a supply chain of some sort uh, is kind of my position after several years of doing this and being in this in this industry and i truly believe that yes businesses rely on processes they rely on teamwork and individuals to all make things happen, but when all of those things are done in a vacuum, when those processes are, are siloed off, when there's a lack of communication or understanding and plans are made on their own, outside of consideration for the constraints and the opportunities that you gain from better partnering with whomever your suppliers and trading partners may be that you end up with just the status quo and that you do have those breakdowns and that true transformation is nearly impossible.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, part of that is to your point too, man. it's not the technology, the data is there, right? That is not the issue today. I think part of it or major part of it is, and it's a, you know, it's a catchphrase, but it's, it's the change management, right? It's, How do you work with your network and your suppliers and your tier two suppliers, your distributors and et cetera? And how do you work with them to not just convince them it's a good thing, but to get them enthusiastic and to get them excited about being part of such a network and of being active participants? So I think that's where the true value gets unleashed and unlocked is when people are You know, they do it because they see the value, they do it because they want to, not because their tier one supplier came to them and basically used the stick and said, if you don't do this, you know, we're gonna (laughs) stop using you guys. Right. So I think that's really that's the key. And I don't think that's something that there's no easy answer for that. And I and I think that's something that has been fascinating, frustrating, but also very, you know, I think the opportunity still lies there, and I think it's something that that from a supply chain standpoint we will continue to work on. I certainly don't think that it's going to be solved by waving a magic wand and having everybody play nice in the sandbox.
0: Wait, you mean there's no single fix for these systemic issues that we face each day? What have we been doing all this time? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's we, a great we've been pre <laughs> We've been
1: preaching on this podcast. So I know uh, we've been doing our part.
0: That's for sure. But yeah, no, I think that as we kind of close out this particular discussion and, and, well, close out this show, where do you see all of this going? What's ahead in the next few years? It seems that the future is bright, but it seems that there are still hurdles that exist across all aspects of supply chain.
1: Yeah, I think the, the future is bright. I think this, again, this concept that you said, you know, the first show aired was talking about, I think still is one that holds tremendous opportunity value for supply chains, So I think the future is bright in the sense that we still have a lot of work to do and there's still a lot of opportunity with it. I think that, you know, there's still going to have to be, again, that constant evolution to, I think, a combination of, you know, technology, data, services. When I mean services, I mean, you know, change management type services that will have to come together to help some of these supply chains to get over the hump and get to that next stage. And I do think that, you know, we're starting to see that. And I think we're only seeing more of it. I think the question is, you know, that also will be sort of a, a varied offering where it's not going to be the same for every supply chain. There's going to be different levels of that type of change and cooperation. But I think that, you know, we certainly don't need more data. We certainly don't need more technology. I think we have the -the state-of-the-art technology and the amount of data we already need to be able to do this successfully. I think now it's a matter of being able to work with customers and work with companies within supply chains to, you know, not just embrace this, but really themselves evangelize it with their supply chains and for everybody to sort of, again, you know, not to be too kumbaya, but to get all on board and to roll in the same direction.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I'm a a supply chain optimist. I think I've put my money on deep learning for better pattern recognition and prediction i think retailers and brands and even on the you know discrete side and manufacturing of, of supply chain processes people have got to invest in machine learning and then use that again to parse all of that data faster than before no matter what level you know whether they want to provide that data to that customer who wants to know who picked the piece of tea leaf that's in their glass or just the person who cares if their package arrives on friday before you know works over I think that deep learning can optimize all of that.
0: All right. So you're here to hear, folks. Future is bright, but there's still some work to do. For Supply Chain Radio, it's been an absolute pleasure. From that very first episode in 2009 up until uh, this one in 2019, we've had more than a quarter million people who have downloaded this show in more than 130 countries on six continents. We never quite cracked Antarctica, guys, but I do want to thank all of those who have tuned into this show regularly. I know sometimes it's a one-sided conversation with us, for those of you who are out there listening, but to those who have expressed their interest, subscribed, sent their feedback to us, show ideas, everything, I do want to thank you out there for being a part of this journey. And to Guy and Jenny, especially, you guys have been amazing co-hosts through so much of this. And I want to say that while SCR may go on, I won't be part of it, and it may take a little bit of a break. Jenny, you run a show that focuses on retail, and you do touch a lot of supply chain. So I do want to give you a second to kind of give a plug for what you're working on and where you're going with Reinventing Retail.
2: Absolutely. So you can probably tell from my uh, bias on this episode that I uh, do focus on retail and fashion brands, but uh, you know, my show, Reinventing Retail, I have a a co-host, Josh Calixto, who is the co-creator of the show. We're hosted, uh, same as Supply Chain Radio, on iTunes, Spotify, and most major podcast networks. You can find us there under Reinventing Retail. And we focus, as Matt said, on retail trends and tech, which these days is focused a lot on supply chain. So be sure to tune in.
0: Excellent. And Guy, as a man of the world, I imagine you'll be contributing on Reinventing Retail, maybe the occasion he'll SCR be there. in the future. <laughs> well, as long, as long as I'm still welcome there, you know, I will uh, You're always welcome. I will be there. <laughs> but,
1: uh, but hopefully we find a way to keep Supply Chain Radio up and running. And if so, I'm sure you'll hear my voice and we'll maybe find a way to get Matt Gunn to participate as a podcaster from the outside now.
0: A special co-star. I love it. A couple more thank yous. None of this would be possible without Josh Caldwell, our silent host on Supply Chain Radio and truly the only person who has touched and created every single episode that you have heard through the years. We're at 179 with this episode right now. And Josh, you've been great at making us sound at least moderately, like we know what we're talking about through all of it. Also, to those who have hosted in the past and have left the show, Suha Sridhar, Greg Kiefer, and as I mentioned before, John Atherton, Greg Johnson, and Boris Felgendreer, all of you have had a big part in making this thing real. And that's about it, folks. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to Supply Chain Radio. Find our archive on iTunes. Just search Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn. While I may not be podcasting here regularly, I may be doing something else down the road. So find me on Twitter at at Matt Gunn or on LinkedIn. Jenny, Guy, where can we find more information about you guys reinventing retail and the work that you're doing in that space?
2: I'm available on Twitter as Jenny Scott Reese on LinkedIn under Jenny Reese. And to learn more about the work I'm doing with Infor on fashion and retail and supply chain products, go to Infor.com slash retail.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at G-C-O-U-R-T-I-N and on LinkedIn at c o u r t i n And Maybe you'll hear me on Reinventing Retail very soon. Hopefully, if I get invited invited to talk
2: on that side. No, no. It won't be invited. It will be forced. (laughs) Ah, okay. Even
1: better.
0: All right. Thank you, guys. And thank you again to everyone who has made Supply Chain Radio such a success and such an exciting experience for me through the years.
2: Woo! Uh, Happy last show!
0: (laughs) Thanks, Matt. Thanks for checking us out. Bye, guys.